Drumsog podcast. I'm Tanya, I'm last year's drama producer. I'm Raphael. And I'm Lydia. And we're going to be talking about The House of Jack Build, the latest release from Lars von Trier, and we're going to be expanding on that, talking about directors who are very provocative and megalomaniac. Yeah, lots to say about that. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but at least the discussion has been opened up. I think that's, that's great. Yeah, so uh, The House of Jack Build was talked about really because of how it depicted violence, how it depicted the violence inflicted upon women, like pretty much every movie that Lars von Trier has ever made. Uh, so it's particularly caught up in the latest uh, Me Too, the latest Time's Up movement, uh, most notably uh, Lars von Trier's uh, production company that he founded with Peter Jensen as uh, Entropa, uh, was... Uh, kind of caught up in this uh, in accusations of uh, sexual harassment although in these accusations uh, only Peter Jensen and not Lars von Trier was actually named uh, but Lars von Trier was caught uh, was of course um, caught up in accusations because of his uh, his behavior on uh, Dancer in the Dark uh, that was a can that I think won the Palme d'Or I don't remember uh, um, and me if I'm wrong, but Von Trier wasn't actually named in the accusations against the company, yeah. was he? he yeah. Wasn't named. yeah, yeah, he wasn't. But uh, Bjork, of course, did a yeah, post yeah. and uh, after like the Me Too movement, saying mm -hmm. that he did some very inappropriate things, saying that he groped her after filming, uh, a lot of things like like that. But I don't believe that he has pressed charges. Uh, so mm -hmm. just like, of course, it's it's allegations, and we have to be very cautious about everything. But I think she's actually filed the complaint. I don't know if she's planning on it but that just uh, yeah on that side uh, he has obviously denied these allegations but he's uh, he's one of the greatest authors working today so of course a lot of people talked about that he's uh, very well known for having tumultuous relationships with his actors on set uh, I think most notably on the shooting of Dogville there was like an entire documentary uh, made about uh, like how actors reacted after takes uh, to his uh, method, uh, people were like just like complaining because he he's uh, said to be very uh, aggressive and very very uh, manipulative uh, on set. So many look back on their experiences with him, saying he was awful, but others say it was great. Yeah, I mean he's just he's defended himself pretty strongly, at least in the Bjork situation. He said, obviously I hugged her, but if she thinks a hug is harassment, then I think I'll not be able to succeed without touching my actors. Which is pretty interesting, you know, in the way that he always talks about pushing boundaries and kind of pushing these lines. But I guess the question is for us to discuss, you know, where do we draw the line? What is acceptable, what is unacceptable? Because obviously art can't really exist, cinema included, without provocation. And that is why he is so well known. That's what he's famous for with films like, I don't know, whether it's Dogville or whether it's Nymphomaniac, he has always been sort of provocateur but at what point does this sort of idea of pushing lines become completely unacceptable you know mm, it's kind of reminiscent of Tarantino in a way because if we think about saying glorious bastards when it's his hands who are like on the actors strangling them specifically the actresses because they're the ones who get strangled um, and sort of what how does that break down the trust between actor and director and sort of make it feel like a, an unsafe environment for actors to work in? Yeah, I think it's extremely interesting in terms of how these directors behave in real life, in reality, and how it's reflected in their movies and how these movies reflect our culture. 
So we talked uh, earlier about how it's ingrained in these directors' lives and their methods. So it's uh, yeah, it's a whole culture that's based around violence. Yeah, I mean, partly, unfortunately, yeah. the whole sort of fetishiz- yeah, fetishization. Yeah, fetishization. Yeah, fetishization. Why can we not <laughs> say that word? Um, basically, this sort of idea of female violence. You know, I think I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but the I think they're quite shocking in terms of how many men find of sexual violence against women a turn on it's quite mm. disturbing when you think yeah. about it and that is it is so deeply ingrained in our culture for such a long time I mean the idea of the kind of male gaze as well not inherently negative by itself but the fact that that's been around for so long and that for so many male directors I think is how they generally view the world and violence mixed with that it's yeah quite disturbing quite disturbing and I think we are definitely starting to move away from that now and there are a lot of films like um, I, Tonya as well, which I mentioned earlier, where the filmmakers have specified, you know, they said specifically that that wasn't something that they did that they wanted to do. They didn't want to kind of make this film about sensa- sensational violence. They wanted to make it clear that the abuse that is portrayed in the film was something that was suffered. It was kind of an everyday thing. It was a cycle which the character is trying to break out of as opposed to just something shown on the screen, you know, for kind of shock value to get a reaction or to present it in a sexual way. It wasn't like that at all. So I think it is great that some filmmakers are moving away from that. But overall, it's yeah a lot to be done. Yeah, and uh, there was a, an interview by done by IndieWire with Matt Dillon, so who is the protagonist of The House that Jack Built. And uh, there are some very interesting quotes in there. And, for example, uh, Dillon said that Vontra told him, uh, most of the male characters in my films have been fucking idiots. I don't know if that's mm. going to be censored out. <laughs> uh, but this guy is like me. Of all the characters I've ever written, Jack is the one closest to myself, except I don't kill people. Which I would say is, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure about that. Um, Slightly disturbing. <laughs> Controversial. Yeah. And so, yeah, so Dylan talks about how he really hesitated like, to make the movie because he wasn't sure, especially of the, after the controversy, after the Cannes controversy, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, I don't know if we need to remind that he said that he kind of understood Hitler. Um, yeah, uh, so the house that Jack built was actually, even after uh, Lars von Trier's uh, whole uh, thing after with Nymphomaniac about the famous Hitler, the infamous Hitler quote, uh, it wasn't really a success at Cannes, and when it was shown, there were like uh, a lot of walkouts, including uh, from critics, and Dylan in this uh, interview with IndieWire said that von Trier said to Dylan, the groans soothe me. I think that's uh, <laughs> very that epitomizes uh, von Trier's approach to cinema and yeah, yeah. to uh, to critics in general. Is he? I think. I mean, I don't know. That's just me, but I think that uh, the way he depicts violence against women is. I think he's just like a sociopath, and it is, of course, violence against women. But I think it's violence against everything, and it's even more problematic against women because of how society works and because of inequalities. But I think he's just like. Yeah, I think he's a psychopath, and if we asked him, <laughs> he'd probably agree. I think it kind of feeds into the idea of director's ego, or, like, these directors who are auteurs and we've, like, sort of held up for so long, so take Woody Allen or Lars von Trier, and they get to a point where they've been praised for so long and then they have their eventual downfall, but they can't help but think that what they make is still beautiful and doesn't deserve criticism, in a way. Yeah, and every time this downfall is eventually sooner or later followed by a comeback or a rehabilitation and that in itself is quite problematic it's like it almost seems as if nothing is 
serious enough or at least taken seriously enough by by us by the media by society i don't know to be kind of a complete mm. downfall it's like whatever they do you know there will always be a way to get back up there will always be a time whether it takes a month or two months or a few years you know often when al- these allegations have been coming out celebrities will sort of go into hiding for a bit and they won't be pictured out in public but sooner or later there will come that first picture saying oh i don't know i can't think of the top of my head um you know someone finally is coming out of the coming out of their cave a year later first time since these allegations but it always does happen sooner or later and yeah it's almost like you know do they do they have to how bad is the crime that they commit for them to for us as a society to really take it seriously and say you know what as as you were just saying like now we just we can't take their work at face value we can no longer stop just saying well, this is beautiful, we still have to keep admiring it, we have to disconnect that from the person. At what point do we say, well, no, this person is a monster, we just, we can't keep condoning this, we mm-hmm. can't keep saying that this is acceptable in our society. Yeah, I think it's it's even more complicated about Von Schur because that's literally what makes him, like in this interview, he also, like, there were some rumors about Von Schur retiring and Dylan said, like, what else is he going to do? What else is he going to do? That's all he does. And that's... He's al- yeah, he's always done that. So how does uh, he evolve when when the society evolves, when uh, the everyone uh, around him evolves? Does he move on? Does he keep making the, the same films? Or does he take that into consideration? And, uh, yeah. Are we going to see a Lars von Trier movie that's not uh, rated uh, 18 uh, in, in the US or in the UK? <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, yeah, because he's he's provocative, he's a megalomaniac. Uh, even like for example, in the house that Jack built, there are excerpts of uh, some of his movies of melancholia, uh, of nymphomaniac. So that's like self-reference. That's like he's he's completely aware uh, that he's uh, like a master, whatever that means. Uh, he's a great author, and he's uh, considered to be one of the greatest filmmakers ever. So he he knows that and. There's a lot of self-reference. So, like, the protagonist is him. Uh, he, I mean, Jack even breaks the fourth wall a lot. There's, like, one sequence where he has, like, uh, cardboards. He shows, uh, he shows like, uh, some signs to the camera saying, like, I'm egotistical, I'm megalomaniac. And, like, uh, it's clearly about uh, Jack, the protagonist, but it's also clearly about Lars von Trier. It can be a bit tiring, but von Trier wouldn't be von Trier without that. Do you think that. it's a bit sort of... Is it, is it too much? Is it too yeah, that, that, yeah, that's the too question. It's too self-referential. It's yeah. too egotistical. It's too, he's just too caught up in his own persona. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't know. It's I think it's just uh, I have no idea how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe going back to what you were saying twenty a minute ago about mm-hmm. the whole idea of an, a director or an actor who's had some kind of a downfall, com- um, making a comeback. There seems to be this. There's this whole discourse around separating art from the artist mm-hmm. but then if we take directors like von Trier and tarantino and alan it's their that their downfalls in real life are reflected in their art and so we'll say oh yes this film is a beautiful film but it was made by a horrible person but without examining the way in which those things were like glorified in those films i suppose yeah, and I think that's, uh, it's also, uh, I mean, you talked about Tarantino earlier. There's uh, there's a common thread in uh, Von Trier's filmography and Tarantino about, like, 
there's a lot of violence against women, but they also occupy central roles. Like he said that most of the male characters are stupid in his uh, films, but I mean, even in, in Tarantino, there's at the same time, there's this uh, fetishization of, of uh, violence, of violence against women, especially. Uh, but I mean, they, surely the fact yeah. we shouldn't really be praising them for the fact that we have, that they have, sorry, that they have strong female characters, because in an ideal world, you know, we'd be living in a society where that is just the norm, mm. that they should have these characters. And I think the fact that they are strong and they do occupy these central roles just does not in any way sort of make up for the way that they potentially treated these women, you know, the actual mm. real-life women on actress on set. Obviously, the actual actresses are more important than just how they're presented, you know, as, as their character, if that makes sense. To me, so. it almost feels like a sort of inbuilt defence mechanism. So if anybody criticises the film, they can say, but she op- occupies a central role, she's very strong, she's powerful, she takes revenge on those who wronged her, etc., etc. But then that gives them room to you know, portray violence against women or portray similar things. But they can say, oh, no, she's in a central role, so I'm, you know, I'm doing feminist work. Yeah, so. that's exactly what Vontria does, actually. Because even, like, the... So the there's this so-called Golden Heart trilogy that he made, so that's Breaking the Waves, uh, with Emily Watson. Uh, the, there's the lesser-known The Idiots and then Dancer in the Dark. And he's he's called them he's called this trilogy the Golden Heart trilogy because it's basically women who have a golden heart and who actually end up being abused by basically everyone in their in their lives because they're so such good women and they're so like innocent and naive and uh, and actually and um, when I saw the House of Jack Bill there was like an interview with Vontry afterwards and that's what he said the interviewer asked him so like a lot of people say that you're misogynistic in your movies and. And, and in real life, how do you respond? And that's how he responds. He said, well, I, I've made movies about women all my life. So I think, that, yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly what you said, that it's like a, de- a defense mechanism saying, like, oh, how can I be misogynistic if I only film women? Can I just ask you, what was your personal response to the film? Because I haven't actually seen it just because, same as many people, I'm sure, I was just, honestly, I had no interest in it. I mean, I have, I have an interest. I'm curious about what it was like, but I kind of watched the trailer, I read about it, and... I was just put off, really. So I'm just curious what you thought of it. I mean, initially I'm interested, I think, like everyone else, like in Von Trier because of how provocative his movies be. And I think that even though he's provocative, it's not like a B-movie where it's just, like, senseless in a way. I think there's always some kind of... I mean, it's art, it's fiction. So even though, of course, there's this, uh, there, there are these problems outside of set, if I'm, like, going in to see the movie, I'm only... For this moment, for the two hours where I'm in the theater, I'm only thinking about that. So I think, I th- I, honestly, I really don't know. Uh, we talked earlier. There's this uh, very gruesome scene with uh, Rally Keo where he uh, where he mutilates her. I'm not gonna go into any more detail. Uh, but and would you say is it gratuitous violence? Does it drive? I the think this particular scene with Rally Keo didn't seem like like uh, like it was necessary at all. It felt like very provocative and especially. There's like this quote in this scene where it's uh, almost caricatural, where he says, uh, "Why do uh, men always have to be criminals, and why do women always have to be victims?" You know, that's like basically saying, uh, "Like fuck you to everyone else." Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but at the same time, there are some other scenes. There's one that that really like stuck to me. I mean, it's it's awful, but it's basically one that's... An, I think it's a not-so-subtle reference to uh, Donald Trump and Make America Great Again. And it's the mm-hmm. scene where the protagonist uh, goes to, like, the woods 
uh, with a family with a mother and her two children and they're wearing red hats and they have red hats for like the entire scene and they're using guns and he's showing the kids like you know if you want to kill a deer that's how you do everything and of course because he's a serial killer he ends up killing the two children and you actually actually see that on screen so of course that's that's horrible but at the same time he's one of the only who would would do that today and uh, and it's followed by an even more disturbing scene where he, after killing the children, he uh, forces the mother, who he hasn't killed, to feed the children, uh, even though they're dead. Yeah, so that's, uh, I think that's like, I mean, at this point, I'm not even like wondering, like, do I like it or not? I'm just like, okay, uh, how, how do I respond to this? And I, honestly, I saw it like a month ago, and I still don't know how to react. I just know that I remember this. And and for in the interview after, like Vontrier said, Oh, you know, I'm I'm tired of making movie movies about other people. I want to make movies about me. And you know, I like to hunt at at some point. So you know, I put that in the movie. Uh, yeah, of course you like to hunt, but I don't think that's. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if that's really him, that's in the movie. I think that's a, it's, it's an awful sign of uh, who he is. He he said he'd be disappointed if people hadn't walked out on the in the movie. He said he hoped he'd hope that there'd be more people. This time there were one hundred. Next time there'll be two hundred. Which, again, interesting. Obviously not the approach that a lot of filmmakers have. But then, there you go. He's not your average filmmaker. Yeah, and it, it made me... I mean, when I was, uh, like, uh, searching about, like, what he what he did and, like, the the role of women in his movies, it also made me think of uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, who's, uh, who's another Danish director who wasn't, who wasn't accused of, uh, of anything. Uh, but who, when, he, when talking about uh, The Neon Demon, the film he made with Elle Fanning, he said that uh, making this movie, like he actually could live out his fantasy of being a 16-year-old girl. So I think that was also a very disturbing quote, even though he's not been accused of anything. I think that's a sign of outside, even of of uh, allegations and everything that can be linked to that. Of of course, how we said about Hazi culture uh, and how it's ingrained with violence and violence against women, uh, and like this sort of fetishization for like young, beautiful women. And these, like, uh, like, uh, uh, I mean, even the fact, like, these directors are kind of voyeurs in a way, uh, even the, in the way they depict women. So that's again, going yeah. back to the the male gaze yeah, around exactly. for a while, voyeuristic. Even though uh, Refn and Drew like hate them, they they're really not friends. Um, but yeah, I think that's that, that's a very yeah, that's a very dangerous uh, dangerous way of. Um, of depicting women, especially today. And um, just going back to what we were talking about earlier, the production company, um, which was obviously accused of harassment, I think that the way that the company actually defended themselves is quite worrying and shocking. So, <laughs> yeah. for example, I've got a quote here where they were saying, basically there were some allegations that, um, that um, trainee workers at the company as punishment would be smacked. And the company was basically saying, this won't be a part of the culture, but the culture will continue to be colourful and alternative. And I think that just a sort of the cheat, to use words like colourful and alternative to hide harassment, mm. which was pretty much undeniable. I mean, they basically admitted that this was going on, but kind of saying, oh, but no, we're just colourful and trendy and alternative and liberal. Mm. I, d I just think that's quite disgusting. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's... Uh, that's true and uh, even like 
if of course in the in these allegations the Zentrop allegations Vantry isn't named the fact that he co-founded uh, the the production company with someone who would be able to do that like this sort of like uh, way of treating women and the punishments it it really speaks even outside of the allegations like did he do exactly these things to Bjork even like it's uh, it's it's a problematic behavior uh, may it be like exactly punishable by the law or not that's that's definitely uh, problematic behavior I mean the problem is that it is I mean it's such a huge production company in Scandinavia and I mean can you imagine a world where really people like von Trier, for example could be completely boycotted do you think that's sort of possible in the next say five ten I mean years, and work with Weinstein in a way <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I watched well, some of my favorite films from past years and or even films that are coming out this year and even though Harvey Weinstein isn't a part of the company anymore you still see that in the title credits and it sort of leaves a bit of a bitter taste in your mouth because you sort of understand all of the things that went on behind it and going back to what you said about sort of uh, Von Trier being a co-founder of the company but even if he didn't do those things himself is he still complicit because he must have known mm -hmm. at least to some degree what was going on I think it's very unlikely that he would have been entirely aware since so many employers, employees sorry, at the company mm -hmm. have admitted that this was just a part of the culture on a day-to-day -day basis. These were not isolated incidents. I think it's so unlikely that one of the co-founders mm. would have been unaware that this is the culture of this company. I, I just think that's unrealistic. Yeah, of course, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And uh, just to like finish off on, on Von Trier, I think he's... Uh, I think he's he's a very troubled person, and what I, I talked I talked about like the interview after I saw the has the Jack built, and he like he looked really weak for the entire interview. He was wearing like a very large shirt with like a huge beard, and he was he was trembling for the entire interview. And from like what is known about him, I think he's now he's like on medication and he drinks. And I mean he's a he's a very troubled man, and he has a lot of problems on on his own and i don't know if he's gonna be able in the in the next few years maybe like personally or even with his production company and everything uh if it's boycotted or not if he's gonna be able to to make any more uh, any more movies or if he's uh i don't know past his prime if that's a way of speaking about it i mean the conversation can obviously be extended way out past just last um mm. And unfortunately, so many of these kind of huge, colossal figures in, I mean, not just film, even for example, last night I was reading about, um, I don't know how much you guys know about this, but the, the new documentary that's being made about the allegations, <coughs> the child abuse allegations against Michael Jackson. Yeah. And his estate has, you know, completely denounced this. Yeah. They're saying, oh, this is just some rehashing old allegations. There's no basis to them. They're just trying to make money off Michael Jackson's name. But I think it, it definitely is a good thing that there is so much more of a discussion about this now. And I think the documentary, I mean, Obviously, I myself have no idea about mm. whether these allegations are true, who can verify them or not. But it is definitely a good thing that this is appearing at and that it will be screened at kind of big festivals. Big names are attached to it, I think. Yeah, and, and Sundance made like, uh, they said like, we're, we're keeping this yeah, in because yeah. it should be shown. Yes, it's good that they're not bowing yeah. down because of the pressure. But I think um, also going back to what you said earlier, I think it also shows that we are to some extent moving towards not viewing these figures as untouchable anymore. Mm. You know, people like Michael Jackson, people like Harvey, it's it's very easy to kind of say that, you know, we idolize them so much, they're huge, they're powerful, there's just nothing you can do about them. But the point is that now we are showing that, yes, actually, 
fine if you make a documentary about Michael Jackson. Yes, there will be Michael Jackson fans that will send you messages, you know, <laughs> accusing you of whatever, saying this is stupid, take this down, don't screen this. But it can get through to the public. And now that, as you said, Sundance is on board, they've said they're not backing down. I just think that really shows a lot of progress. Yeah, I agree. But even like uh, in this, in these kind of, uh, of questions that we ask, it's interesting because like the if uh, if uh, Sundance chose, I mean that's that's not what they're doing. But if they chose not to show the uh, the documentary about uh, the the Jackson, the Michael Jackson uh, abuse allegations, there's this debate. Of course, like these people shouldn't be allowed to do that. But then again, if we're talking about Montreal again or any other director like that. We're going to say, are we even going to censor the fact that... Uh, are we going to censor their movies? Are we going to make sure that they can't be shown anywhere? Or is, like, I don't know... Um, because I'm, I'm thinking about this, especially because one of Vontaine's um, earlier movies, The Idiots, was actually... I think Channel 4 in the UK showed them as part of, like, a, a sort of program about uh, censorship... And uh, films that were um, that couldn't uh, be released in certain movies, I think it was like in New Zealand or Australia. Just they didn't show them because uh, they thought they were good movies, but just because they were provocative. Uh, and I think it's interesting that we're actually these are two uh, like extremes on on like uh, uh, on like the same spectrum. We're talking about these uh, people shouldn't be allowed to make uh, certain movies. And of course, if they have done uh, bad things, they uh, they shouldn't be allowed to make any more movies. And at the same time, we're talking about: Are we still going to show them? Uh, for example, I don't know if you if you're like in film studies, are you still going to be shown Woody Allen movies, or are you going to contextualize their uh, their like uh, their um, their projection like? Are you going to say, okay, you, you're going to watch Annie Hall. That's like one of the greatest movies ever, but mm. you have to be aware of that. I think it's also, I mean, it's an interrogation, it's a question, it's an interesting debate just to be like uh, about freedom of speech, about freedom of speech, of course, for everyone, but how you present that and how you, of course, uh, taking into account the history and how movies were made in the 80s, the 90s, how you, how you evolve. And also taking into account things like the principle of innocence or proving guilty, because obviously in a lot of these cases, again, not casting my own judgment on it at all, but in some of these cases, you know, the court case gets settled and there isn't necessarily a clear answer. I mean, we as a public don't know exactly. And I'm not referring to any person in particular, but, you know, that has been the case. And it's kind of like, at what point do we say, right, well, we have no actual concrete proof that this happened, you know, do you, in that case, do you still boycott the films? Do you still censor them? Do you show them? Again, not kind of saying what I think about it, but it's just an interesting debate to have, mm. I think. I think it also plays into how sort of online media sort of interacts with this as well. So, like, right now, say one of your favourite films is Annie Hall, but you are aware of the fact that watching it on Netflix sends money to Woody Allen then do you make the decision, okay, I'm still going to watch it, but I'm going to stream it off of some illegal website so that I can still enjoy the art, but the creator who has done this hor these horrible things doesn't get the benefit of that, I suppose, and therefore isn't more likely to make more films in the future. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about Lars von Trier, we were also talking earlier about, uh, we, could, we said we could talk about Brian Singer. Yeah. Mm. 
and I think it's also a, a very different debate in a way because, I mean, that's maybe my personal opinion, but since Usual Suspects, he's not known for making great movies. <laughs> so there's <laughs> this question like, <laughs> are you still going to hire a guy who has a lot of allegations, uh, who's still under, under fire and who hasn't made anything great <laughs> in 20 years? Like, why hire him at mm. all? But the point is that he is still being hired and even, yeah, yeah after all the allegations, a couple of months later, he is, you know, back at it, being hired. I can't remember off the top of my head what the film is, but he is hired to direct something else. Yeah. So who knows why, but the point is that there are still people who are going to pay him to do work for them. Yeah, and Bohemian Rhapsody might get a few Oscars in, uh, in, a, in like a month, in a few weeks, and uh, people aren't going to thank Brian Singer, and we're just not going to mention that he was a big part of that movie. Because I think he's still credited. Yeah. So mm. that I don't think Rami Malek is going to say, I'm going to thank him. I want oh, to no. thank Brian, Brian Singer <laughs> no. for his involvement, involvement again, in the movie. He said that the reason, I don't know if you guys know this, but yeah. you know, he was saying how the reason that he took the time off and stuff when Rami Malek accused him of you know, lack of organization, not turning up on set, it's just being unprofessional. And he said that actually it was because he had to take time off to look after a sick family member. Yeah. So again, who knows what was really going on, but yeah, yeah, and we can also go back to uh, so we talked about Tarantino uh, about I mean there's this uh, I mean most notoriously uh, the um, election yeah I mean yeah I, mean, I was going to say about like Emma Thurman and like the the car stunt uh, that apparently like uh, really endangered uh, Emma Thurman and almost killed her. And of course, he's apologized since then, and she also made like an Instagram post saying like, uh, I'm, I'm happy that he apologized, but there's this other thing about him defending uh, Roman Polanski in an interview saying, oh, mm. for me, it's not rape if it's not mm. violent, even though she was 13. After that, of course, he apologized. Um, a lot of people <laughs> said that uh, he was really awful on set. Uh, then Diane Kruger publicly defended him on Instagram, saying that she had a great experience with him. So, uh, yeah. And, but, I mean, at the same time, also, he, I saw that in, in an interview, he himself confessed that he said himself that he should have done more in the past about, for example, Weinstein. Yeah. But, I mean, that's not enough saying, oh, I should have done more, and now... What? Exactly. Yeah. He's so deeply involved in that company that you can't really say yeah. that he was separate from it at all because it's so obvious that he knew about it. I think he even said that he knew. Mm -hmm. And obviously saying, oh, I should have done more makes yeah. it quite clear that he knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. And, and I mean, in a way, it's also, uh, we talked about that, but like Von Trier about how women are depicted in his, in his films and uh, about the uh, w violence inflicted upon women. I think it's kind of the, it's kind of the same pattern uh, with Von Trier. Maybe a bit less provocative, even though he's still uh, not exactly mainstream and in, uh, in, in Hollywood and, or in America, he's still kind of like this uh, hybrid, like, oh, it's Sorry, are you talking about Tarantino? Tarantino, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think there's this uh, same pattern, and also not necessarily about women. I think there was also this controversy about uh, the Spike Lee complaint about Django Unchained, and generally how oh, uh, yeah. the N word was used a lot in in um, in Tarantino's movies, mm -hmm. and and that like you shouldn't, I mean you shouldn't basically depict uh, slavery as like a comic book. In fact, I mean it's not even just in Django Unchained. If you look at the majority of his movies, he get Samuel L. Jackson in there and gets him to say it almost, it seems, as many times as possible. Yeah. And it's sort of like, 
he he feels like he understands but he can't say it now yeah. and he can't get his white characters to say it so he'll get like the, the mm. characters who it's deemed acceptable to yeah. try and say it so it's just he can almost like speak through them yeah. Jack is uh, Laz von Trier and Samuel L. Jackson is Tarantino mm. I think it's also interesting you mentioned the word mainstream you know I think we can all agree that Laz von Trier is definitely not mainstream you know his films are for the select few and yeah, but then I think comparatively, I mean, of course, Tarantino is not making kind of Hollywood blockbusters that the entire world watches. But I would argue that, you know, f- a fair amount of people would place Pulp Fiction mm. as kind yeah. of one of those colossal films. Everyone's seen it. Yeah. Everyone knows it. Everyone talks about it. So, you know, I, relatively, I think he is pretty mainstream. And it's, yeah. it's interesting how, as we were discussing earlier, you know, Lars von Trier's kind of provocateur persona has sidelined him for obvious reasons and his films are not for mass consumption but I think Quentin Tarantino has walked this kind of fine line between exactly. mainstream but also in some ways definitely provocative mm. yeah he's uh, he's like he has like this hybrid like uh, he's kind of an auteur he's uncompromising and he still keeps these elements in his movies that make him like that keeping on on the verge of uh, yeah the in the middle of both uh, extremes yeah. I know it might be a bit of a tenuous link, but what you were saying earlier about Von Trier um, saying that he very much identified with the main character from the house that Jack built, um, and then that just reminded me of um, Kevin Spacey because of the video that came out a couple of weeks ago, just before yeah. Christmas, actually. That was interesting. <laughs> yep. Um because I was just quite confused personally. Like he, it's obviously seems to be something in which he's defending himself, yet he takes on the character of his um, of his character in House of Cards, who is a sort of sociopathic murderer, who def- like deceives the audience when he's breaking the fourth wall and everything, and yet he's trying to use that style to get people to give to forgive him. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know who is. Uh his uh, team is but I don't know who advised him to do these types of videos and I think he did another weird stunt where he like delivered pizza to paparazzi I don't know why he does these really? things really I haven't heard what yeah. did he do I think he like uh, I, I don't know the, I literally just uh, read a, a headline but I think he like delivered himself like a pizza to a paparazzi was this in, in character as well or was this just asking know. himself as I don't Kevin know Spacey I just saw that no yeah I mean yeah as, as Kevin Spacey yeah like who knows how we're meant to interpret that? Yeah, no, I don't know why he does yeah, these. His marketing team. Yeah, are he should just some like bizarre that. ideas. Yeah, I think. I mean, we we of course we talked about that, but this in the in the um, process of like rehabilitation, mm-hmm. like okay, we do you have to wait? Like uh, how how long do you have to wait until you like come outside again? Do you have to wait for like your your trial to be over and everything? Uh, and even for example like what Roman Polanski uh, we kind of talked about him but th- it's been going on for what I don't know th- it happened like mm-hmm. 20 years ago yeah, I think yeah and it's and he's I think I know that he like finalized uh, the Ghost Rider in prison like they had him uh, like I think they brought his gear into prison so that he could actually like uh, f- finalize the, the I mean do the final version in prison yeah, it's 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 incredible. Um, yeah, we talked about Brian Singer. There's John mm-hmm. Lasseter, who's another director, uh, who um, who was under yeah, fire. Sadly, the list goes on and on. Yeah. 
And it's interesting to see that the ones that sort of get ousted, or at least partially ousted from the industry, are the ones where the public picks up on the allegations. Whereas if you take Gary Oldman, for example, who was alleged to have, you know, beat his beat his wife, he still won the Oscar for Best Actor last year, and there wasn't much outcry about it mm. because not many people knew about the allegations in the first place. No, I don't think there was much buzz in the media about it at all. Actually, exactly. yeah. barely read anything. So how do we move forward? It's a very good question. God. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, I, I think it's still, I mean, of course, this um, started in the US, but it still has to reach other countries. I mean, I know, for example, because I'm French and uh, it only started like not long ago, for example, with uh, Luc Besson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the allegations only came out like, I don't know, what, six months, a year ago. Uh, there was Gerard Depardieu, who's like uh, one of the greatest French actors also. But it, it's still very, very recent. And I know that, I mean, we talked about uh, Scandinavia with Lars von Trier, but there was, a, of course, a lot of outcry in, uh, in, in Sweden. Uh, and yeah, I think it still has to reach, I mean, before even we even talk about like, okay, how do we even start thinking about rehabilitation? We, it still has to reach some a lot of other countries because unfortunately it's of course not even a question of the US it's everywhere else I mean it'd be in in western countries and eastern countries everywhere I actually know quite a lot about um, what's going on in France as well because I did it as part of my uh, one of my French modules and I mean there are definitely you're right things have started changing there are a lot of new initiatives like um, I don't know if you know they had this initiative called uh, 50-50 by 2020 mm. where they were basically slightly different things but also in line with the kind of Me Too movement they were aiming to have um, sort of 50-50 split between male and female um, filmmakers in the film industry by 2020, which is obviously a nice idea. Unfortunately, very, very unrealistic, but I think they just thought it sounds nice, 50-50 <laughs> by 2020. But um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, the kind of French culture inherently is very patriarchal and there was a surprising amount of backlash from French people themselves. From French women. Even. Yeah, French women, you know, exactly. This, uh, this uh, like... Uh, I think Catherine Deneuve, uh, she yeah, yeah, she started thing saying like uh, <laughs> the uh, the freedom to like I mean not to harass I'm not sure how to uh, translate the word in French but just like to hassle just to run around women saying I mean you're allowed to whistle at a woman to catcall her if she's wearing a skirt. But also I think they're coming out of I mean it's a completely different generation. I really think that maybe they're not the best place people to mm. comment on it now. And the point is that. You know, our generation, young people, whatever, young women, I think, are on board with it. Obviously, as we have seen by the huge response that we've had around the world to the movement, I think that's, yeah, that's really where we should be looking to going forward. Uh, That's it for this podcast. Uh, We've been Lydia, Tanya, and Raphael. This is a house that Jack built, y'all. Remember this house. This was the land.